again to the Perimeter Church podcast. There's a flower called spikenard on the coat of arms for Pope Francis. It grows in the Himalayas at an altitude between 9,800 and 16,400 feet, and the liberal use of some of the very expensive oil derived from that plant is about to cause an incident. Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series A Glorious Grace, Generosity and Grace with this message entitled Beautiful Grace, which covers Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 to 13. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series on generosity and grace. And we're turning to this story in Matthew 26. It's in a part of the gospel where death is everywhere. Jesus is talking about it. The priests are plotting it. And Judas is about to hand Jesus over to it. And in the middle of all of this talk of death, sandwiched between the priests plotting and Judas betraying, is the story of a woman who anoints Jesus' head with oil. It's a strange story. It's a story that, if I'm honest, up until this week, I wasn't really sure how it fit and why it was here in this text. And it wasn't until I read this this comment by a commentator named Frederick Bruner that it finally made sense. This is not a random text. It just doesn't happen to be sandwiched in between those two things. It's a call to worship. It's a call to see and to behold the only one who is worthy of our affection and trust and to respond to him in the only way that he deserves. My prayer is that it would function that way in our hearts this morning. Let's read the text together and then I'll pray for us. Matthew 26, starting in verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come this morning just confessing that unless you give us sight, we cannot see. That Lord, unless you take our hearts and you make them soft, they will be hard. And so Lord, we pray, send your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that yearn for the things that truly matter. And may we see and behold glorious things in this text because we have seen and beheld the only one who is truly worthy. Come now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jeff just mentioned, we are celebrating today the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. 
the day when Martin Luther walked up to the Wittenberg church door and hammered to the chapel door 95 theses railing against this idea that you could somehow buy your way out of purgatory. It's a moment that sparked a movement that continues to reverberate even to this day, even if you don't realize it, because the church you're sitting in right now, it is a church that exists because of that moment. The fact that you pick up your Bible and it's in English, in a language you understand, is because of that moment. The fact that I'm about to preach to you in a language you understand, or at least you hope, is because of that moment. The fact that you just sung all of those songs in English about a Jesus who is Savior of all, who can take even the most broken of people and heal them, it's because of that moment. What we're celebrating, it's not, it's not these men. It's the God who stood behind them and who used these broken men to take his church and root it ever more deeply in his word and in the gospel and most of all in Christ himself. It's men like Luther and Calvin who attempted something so great for God, as we like to say here, that it was doomed to failure unless God was in it. Of men that we look back on and we can say God used them in a significant and powerful way in his kingdom. But even as we celebrate that, even as we look at that moment and say it is something that we should remember and reflect on and thank God for, there is a part of me that also begins to ask another question. What about the other guys? What about the ones who lived and died for the same truths? and whose lives passed away in anonymity and nobody remembers their names? What about the ones who attempted something so great for God that it was doomed to failure unless God was in it, and then in the eyes of all the world failed? What about the ones who lived out their lives in back corners and were faithful to Jesus in all they did, and seemingly ended their lives in discouragement and flame. What about the people like us who spend our days changing diapers and chasing kids and going to classes and week in and week out going to jobs, who end our days going, what thing of actual significance has happened here? Whose efforts look less like what the world calls beautiful and more like what the world calls waste. There's a temptation, isn't there, to think that the things that matter, the things that have significance, they're the ones you can look at and say, there was some tangible, visible, powerful success. Matthew 26 says that may be true in the world, that's not true in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus says the things that the world forgets, I remember. And the things that the world calls waste, I call beautiful. He says, here's what's significant. It's not big movements. It's not big success. It's worship. It's lives laid down in costly sacrifice 
for the sake of the only one who is worthy, a Savior so tender that he takes whatever you give in his name and he declares it beautiful. A Savior so faithful that he takes whatever you offer, no matter how foolish it may look, and he says, this gift, it lasts. It's what you see in the story of this woman. This woman comes to Jesus and she pours out a gift to him and Jesus says, it is beautiful to me. It's a beautiful gift. And it's not a beauty that reveals itself readily to our eyes, is it? Because when we open up this text, what we're seeing, it, it should shock you. A woman, which is already something that in that culture would have been strange, a woman walks into the room where Jesus and his disciples are eating. They've got food on the table, they're talking together, they're hanging out, and this woman walks in, and in her hand is a flask, a very specific flask. Matthew says it's an alabaster one. It's the kind of flask that was used for a very specific purpose. It held this perfume called nard. Now, if you had one of these, this was not something you just carried about with you. This was kind of the equivalent in that day and age of a family heirloom. This was the kind of thing that your family would have and you would pass down from generation to generation to generation. And when you used it, you would open the top and you would pour out a single drop and then you would immediately reseal it and you would probably never touch it again in your lifetime. It is a flask containing a perfume so precious that while Matthew tells us it was very expensive, Mark, in his account of the same story, he tells you just how expensive it was. 300 denarii. Now that may not make much sense to you, so I'll put it in terms that'll make sense. That's what the average worker made in a year. And this woman walks into the room and stands behind Jesus and holds in her hands this heirloom that has been passed from mother to daughter for who knows how long. A year's wages in a world where you did not have savings or retirement, where one bad crop in one bad year could mean life or death, and she shatters it on Jesus' head. So that the perfume is pouring down his brow and down his shoulders and down his legs into the dirt below there's a reason that the disciples, they see this happen, and every single one of them, they immediately, they get angry. And they say, why this waste? Because every drop, every drop that falls from Jesus' brow to the floor, every drop is a back that could have been clothed. Every drop is a belly that could have been filled. Every drop is a life that could have been changed. This woman just took what in our day and age would be tens of thousands of dollars and sat it on the table and set it on fire and they're going, why this waste? And I'm sure they're thinking in that moment, Jesus is going to join with us. I mean, he just preached a sermon in Matthew 25 about the final judgment where what is the thing that separates the sheep from the ghosts, the blessed from the cursed? It's how you care for the poor. The disciples have to be going, Jesus is going to be on our side of this. But what does Jesus do? He takes the thing that seems to make so much sense and he flips it on its head. 
the disciples look at the woman and they say, why this waste? Jesus, instead of answering their question, he asks them another one. He says, why do you trouble the woman? They're looking at the money that is seeping into the dirt. Jesus is looking at the person. And he says, what this woman has given to me, it's beautiful. It is no waste. Because she loved me. And she loved me above all. Notice his language in verses 10 to 11. Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. You know, Jesus is sitting down at a dinner with his best friends, with guys that he has walked with and talked with for three and a half years, with men that at this point, four times, he has now told, I am going to die. That in a matter of days, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be condemned, I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I'm going to rise, and the disciples have heard this again and again and again. And yet in this moment, sitting with their friend, knowing that that day it is imminent and it is not far, what are they thinking about? It's not Jesus. It's money. Their friend is about to become poor for their sake, and all they can think about are people somewhere else. It's the woman, the one they're angry at, who looks at Jesus in his time of need and loves him. Now, Jesus is not here dismissing our need to care for the poor. Matthew 25 makes it pretty clear that's not what he's going for. And the words that he chose here makes it even more clear that that's not what he's saying because that first part, you will always have the poor with you, that's a quote. That's Deuteronomy 15.11, a verse that starts with that and then says this, Therefore I command you, because you will always have the poor with you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Jesus is not setting up a dichotomy between what is good and what is bad. He's not setting up a dichotomy of here's what you should do and here's what you shouldn't. Now, the issue that Jesus is driving at is this. It's priority. It's not an issue of misused resources. It's an issue of misplaced affection. The disciples have elevated the love of the poor over the love of Jesus. And as a result, they failed to do both. Because there's a poor woman sitting in the room, who has just made herself poorer still, and what do they do? They don't care for her. They're angry. It's the woman who loves Jesus above all. It's the woman, not the disciples, who pours out her resources to care for him in his time of need. And it's the woman that Jesus looks at and says, that's beautiful. Sometimes 
we can be so quick to judge the gifts of others, can't we? To look at other Christians and other churches and the things they're spending their money and their resources on and think, what, how wasteful, how foolish. Matthew 26 says maybe the first question shouldn't be about what other people are doing. Maybe it should be about what we ourselves are doing. About what is actually lurking in our hearts. And the question should be this. Do our gifts and our sacrifices reflect a heart that looks more like this woman who loved Jesus above all? Or does it look more like that of the disciples where Jesus is just one love among many and a lesser love at that? Jesus tells you which one is beautiful to him. And this woman, she loves him above all because unlike the disciples, she has seen him for who he is. As one who is worthy of everything she possesses. Notice what it says in verse 12. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. You know, when we find something that we think is worthy, things that ordinarily would seem like waste no longer seem like waste, do they? You know, as you look at a football schedule for the season, if you're anything like me as a Georgia fan, you start looking across the schedule and you're going, there are certain games that matter more than others. There's the significant games, uh, the games that affect what might happen to us at the end of the season, the ones that might mean you go to the playoffs or you don't, the rivalry games, the worthy games, and then there's the less worthy ones. Uh, the ones where you can get tickets for cheap or for free because you know you're going to beat that team, or at least you should, unless your season's going really bad. The ones where investment of time and resources it doesn't make that much sense because they're not worth very much. For the worthy games, we'll invest a lot. Georgia fans were spending thousands of dollars to get to Notre Dame this season and then hundreds of dollars over ticket price just to get inside the stadium. Why did we do that? Because we looked at the game and we said it was worthy. And things we normally would have said were a waste, we said in this moment, it matters. We'll sacrifice for what we worship, won't we? It strikes me that something significant is being revealed about how the disciples view Jesus in this text. They've been walking with Jesus for three and a half years, but they're still blind to who he is. Because in their eyes, if this woman had taken this ointment and sold it and given it to the poor, that wouldn't have been a waste. That would have been a worthy cause. But pour it on Jesus? That's a waste. If Jesus had been a king like David, conquering giants and conquering the Philistines and conquering Israel's physical enemies, they wouldn't have batted an eye if he'd been anointed. That's what you do to kings, because they're worthy. But Jesus sitting at that table, to him, he's a guy they love, a guy they like. But on his head, that ointment is a waste. It's meaningless. They're blind. But the woman, the woman sees. 
you catch it? Jesus has been telling them about his death for months now. And it's only the woman who has heard that news and said in her heart and with her life, that is good news. In verse 12, it says the reason she poured out the ointment is what? To prepare Jesus for burial. She's seen the thing that every one of us should see. That the one sitting at that table, he is a king worthy of a greater anointing than David ever did. Because he's going to bring a better kingdom. The one sitting at that table, who in a few days is going to be celebrating the Passover meals, this celebration of how God delivered his people from slavery through Moses. That the one sitting at that table is one who is far greater than Moses who is going to bring a far greater deliverance from a far greater slavery and bring them to a far better land, and she is realizing that that deliverance and that kingdom, it's not going to come through human might or power. It's going to come through the sacrificial death of the man sitting at the table, the only person there who doesn't deserve it, who is going to place himself in the hands of sinners and suffer what only sinners deserve so that people like the disciples who don't care at the moment, people like you and me who are so blind so often to who this is, people like her, would have the one thing we do not deserve, and that is life in Christ. She is looking at Jesus And she is joining her voice with the chorus of the saints in Revelation 5 and saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And you see how beautiful our Savior is because what does his heart do? It smiles. He looks at this woman's gift, so foolish in the eyes of the world, and he says, It's beautiful. And it's not just beautiful, it lasts. You see this in the text. Verse 13, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. He says this gift, it has lasting significance. But it's a significance that our eyes, at first glance, they miss, don't they? Because what do our eyes see? Our eyes see perfume that when it falls to the ground, it might smell for a moment, but then it fades, and then it is gone, and then it is no more. Our eyes don't see something of lasting significance. Our eyes see something that fell to the ground and died. Eleven years ago, I was walking around at a used bookstore, and I was browsing through the titles, and I was looking for something to read, and I stumbled on this book, a book I'd never heard of, but its cover arrested my attention. It was a white cover, and on the center of that white cover was a red picture of Jesus crucified, but he was crucified, not on a cross, but on a piece of Japanese calligraphy. And the title of the book was Silence by a man named Shusako Endo. 
Now, I'd never heard of that book, but I remember seeing that cover and going, I don't know what this is, but I've got to read it. And it has become a book that I have read over and over and over again, a book that I think is it's one of my favorites, not because I agree with everything in it, because I don't, but because I love the way it makes me think. But the first time I read it, what struck me was this. It was a fictional story about a real historical event that I had never heard of. Of this time in the early 1600s in Japan, when there had been several hundred thousand people who had converted to Christianity. And how in the mid-1600s, the Japanese authorities decided they didn't like what they saw as Western influence on their people, and so they began to systematically persecute that church to the point of almost non-existence. They drowned them. They tortured them. They crucified men, women, and children by the hundreds along the roads. And thousands of people died with the name of Jesus on their lips. And what hit me as I read that book is I had never heard it spoken in any church. I had never heard it mentioned in any sermon. I had never read it in any church history book. There were these men and women whose lives had been poured out like perfume to the ground, who had lived and died, and seemingly all of it passed. And no one remembered. It struck me as why. You know, we'll talk about other martyrs, won't we? We'll talk about the Christians who were thrown to the lions in Rome. We'll talk about guys like Jim Elliot who go to these Amazon tribes and try to bring the gospel to them, a man who no sooner does he get off the plane than he's killed before the words of the gospel ever leave his lips. We'll share those stories. Why not this one? And I think the reason is this. All those other stories, they end with some tangible, visible picture of success. The Christians thrown to the lions... The Western church exploded. Jim Elliot, he died. But his wife continued to go to that tribe and soon the entire tribe was converted. But the Japanese church, it never recovered. We celebrate one because our eyes see something that looks like success and we forget the other because in our eyes, at least, it looks like so much waste. That idea permeates our thinking, doesn't it? We may say that we're a people who walk by faith and not by sight, but so much of what we think is true is based not on what Jesus has said, not in what God has promised. It is based on what we can see and taste and touch and feel. And what makes so many of us feel so discouraged in the Christian life is we pour out our lives to Jesus. And so often it doesn't end in the way we expect, does it? It doesn't end with some rousing, joyous hymn. It doesn't end with things necessarily working out how we plan. So often it ends in pain and in suffering with no visible, tangible thing we can point at and go, that's why this happened. And that's what makes Jesus' words so important here. 
He says, while you may see waste, I say, this thing you look on, it's the one thing that really lasts. He says, truly I say to you, verse 13, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. He's saying to the disciples who were sitting there at that table, angry at the woman for the supposed waste, thinking there's no recovering this, no good could come from this. And Jesus says the scent of her perfume may fade, but the scent of her worship never will, because I love it, and I will not let it die. And while the world may forget, I will not. You may not be famous in this church or even in your own home. You may not be an apostle or a prophet or a Luther or a Calvin. You may live and die in anonymity. You may be the person who attempts things so great for God they're doomed to failure lest God be in it. And then to the eyes of all the world fails. What Jesus says to you, is whatever you sacrifice in my name, the world may forget it, but I won't. He didn't forget the woman. He has not forgotten the thousands of Japanese martyrs who died with his name on their lips. And he has declared that not only does he remember them, but those gifts, they will last. Even if to our eyes that seems like so much of a joke, and your response, it might be what mine is, well, those are just words. Words are meaningless. Words can't make something true. And you're right. If I was the one saying them, because I don't have the power to do that, do I? But Jesus does. The one who is speaking is the one who so loved you, he gave himself for you. The one who is speaking is the one who did not just die, but rose. The one who is speaking is the one who sits at the Father's right hand, never to leave it, and intercedes for you, and prays for you even now. The one who's speaking is the one who spoke, and the lame walked, and the blind saw, and the dead rose, who spoke, and the stars sprang into life in the sky. This is not one who speaks and then his words kind of flutter around and they might happen or they might not. This is one who speaks and things come to be. You are entrusting your gifts to one who does not just speak the words but has the power to accomplish the words and has shown you a heart that says he will not fail. You're entrusting them to a faithful Savior who says whatever you give in my name I will not let it fall to the ground, a waste. It lasts. You know, as a church, we're in the middle of 40 days of prayer and fasting, asking God, how would you use us? How would you use what we have for the sake of your kingdom? And in a few weeks, we're going to be invited to take a tangible gift and put it on the altar and say, Jesus, take this and use it as you see fit. And I know that what is going on in your hearts is probably similar to mine. 
What thing of significance could I possibly have to offer? I'm not the most talented. I'm not the most socially gifted. I don't have the most money. What could I give that would actually matter? Jesus says, I'm not looking for apostles or prophets. I'm not looking for Luther's or Calvin's. I'm looking for men and women with hearts like this woman. I'm looking for worshipers who worship me as worthy of all. And whatever they give, it is no waste. It lasts. You see it in the woman. What Jesus promised this woman is being fulfilled right now in your hearing, isn't it? Because the scent of her worship, it still rises. The disciples called it a waste in the moment, but when Jesus rose, they didn't call it a waste anymore. Three of the four Gospels tell this story. And everywhere the Gospel has been proclaimed, in thousands of languages, in hundreds of countries, in church after church after church, generation after generation after generation, the name of Jesus has been lifted high and the story of this woman and her worship has continued to echo. It didn't fall to the ground and die. It's the gift that fell to the ground and Jesus, because he declared it would last, it bore much fruit. This text, it's a call to worship. It's a call to lay everything we have at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, you and you alone are worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And to know that the one we give these things to, he is a savior so tender, he looks at any of your gifts, no matter how small, and says they are beautiful to me who looks at all of your gifts, even the ones that you gave, and it looked like they fell to the ground and died, and says, this is not something that I will forget, and it will last. Because it doesn't depend on the quality of the gift. It depends on the one to whom you gave the gift. And he is worthy of all, and he can be trusted with all. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Let's worship him. We pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you as a people who just, we confess, we are so blind to you. But Lord, you are also one who is faithful even to the blind. Lord, open our eyes and our ears to yourself. I pray, may we leave this place as those whose hearts may have entered here knit to the things of this world, but who leave here, Lord, with hearts more knit to you, as those who may have come into this room discouraged, thinking that whatever we have offered, it was a waste, but leave, Lord, knowing that you have said something far better, that they last. Take us and use us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. 
Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.